0: All right, if you got your Bible, come on, let's, let's read it aloud together. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. All right, go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, guys. So, This psalm right here, he's talking to a king. Some commentators have written uh, about this and they're saying what this writer, what Solomon is doing, he's writing it to a ruler. He's writing it to a king. He's writing it to an individual and he's saying, hey, look, he's talking about an individual who's diligently trying to develop his kingdom. He's trying to build his kingdom, but at the same time, he's also trying to protect it. And so that's why we see there where he talks about building the house of the Lord or watches over the city. See, what he's saying here is not saying that we shouldn't work. We shouldn't build uh, our our property. We shouldn't be individuals who guard against anything that will come against our land. What he's saying really is like, hey, look, it's important to work. He says unless a man build, uh, unless God builds the house, the one who labors, labors in vain. Because at the end of the day, if you're called to build something, you've got to do what you got to do. You've got to work towards it. It's not going to come about without you putting in some work. Same thing with the the watchman over the city. In order for you to protect your your home, in order for you to protect those things around you, your assets, you have to be wise. You have to look over it. And right now he's giving us a picture of what it looked like in the old days of the kingdom. Not only did they build structures, but uh, with the gates around the city, most cities were gated. They had big boundary walls, and what they had was this watchman, this individual who used to stand on top of the gate, and he would have a horn with him, and he would look for impending danger. And if anything was coming towards to mess up what was happening here, he would blow the horn, and everybody would get ready to fight and defend the city. So he is commending, he is saying, hey, we do need to work. Psalm 128 writes it like this. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So it's good for us to work, but why would he say, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor at it labor in vain. And unless God watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's all about the question of why you do what you do. Why are you invested in the things that you're invested in? Why are you working on the things you're working on? Why are things so important to you? Your work, whatever it is. So Proverbs 23 tells us this. The, the wisdom of book, the book of wisdom, Proverbs we, we read this oftentimes when we want to learn some, when we want to learn some nuggets of wisdom. If you want to sit down and gain some good knowledge, you go to the book of Proverbs. And you say, you know, what does this have to tell me? How can this transform my life? Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says this, do not toil or do not work or do not wrestle to acquire wealth. Don't labor only to acquire wealth. He says, be discerning enough to desist. And this word desist that he's talking about means like, be discerning to know when to stop, when to rest and say, hey, you know what? It's not all about just constantly building and building and building and building. Sometimes I need to sit and let things go and uh, to relax a little while. I need to rest a little while. We find a little bit more about rest in the next verse. He says, when your eyes light on it, and this is, This is the warning. You finally see that pizza and it's ready and the oven goes ding and you're excited and you're salivating and you're about to grab your pizza. He says, it is gone for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. What's he saying, he's saying, unless the Lord builds his house, if we're living a life that's apart from God, no matter what we do, if God is not central to the things that we're doing in life, no matter what we do, it fades away in the wind. We think we have a grasp on it now, but we realize very quickly that life is short. We realize very quickly that stuff happens. We realize very quickly that at the end of the day, we don't really control as much as we think we control. So he uses the example of the house, even building a house, he says. Even going out and purchasing that home, even in those things that we see as everyday tasks, if God is not in them, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're about to go off to college, Antonia. Even in your pursuit of college, even in your pursuit of getting that degree, if God isn't central to that, it ends up being meaningless. Verse two, he says, it is in vain That you rise up early. This is Psalm chapter 27. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, in this psalm, at this point, he like makes a switch. Writers have studied this, they've studied back uh, uh, how this was written in the Hebrew and say now he's changing his shift from speaking to the king, he's speaking to those who live in this kingdom. He, li- he switches to the subjects. And it's interesting what he's saying to them. Uh, uh, from our end it says, it is vain that you rise up early and go to late rest and eat the bread of anxious toil. And what he was actually saying that in this time, Israel wasn't very happy. With the ruler that God had set over them. Israel always wanted more. They always wanted what everybody else had. And so it's talking about individuals who are troubled because they're unsure of the king. Sound familiar? Are we in a time where some people are unsure about the ruler that's set in place and we are very unsure about the next one who's coming? And what he's saying is like, dude. Why are you staying up? Why are you allowing that to bother you? Why are you staying up all late at night having Facebook debates about the king, about that individual who's in charge? He was like, hey, look, God gives his beloved rest. See, if we know God is in charge of everything around us, our work, our families, if we know that we've submitted even our our country and our community into God's hands and say, God, I'm just here to serve you and join you at work wherever you place me, we can absolutely rest easy. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. And it's so funny when I see things happen around the country. Like I've got a buddy who, um, our office, I used to share, I used to sublet an office from him. And in his office, he had these barrels like barrels of like cornmeal and he had all these stacks of uh bottled goods and all that type of stuff and so one day i'm just like my friend what's up with all of this this is a little weird i didn't know you were into agriculture he was like just like no the world is gonna end soon You see what's happening in politics? There's coming a time where everything is going to fall apart. And man, the the government is going to be able to just walk in our doors and take everything that they want. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, anxious toil. Like, do you believe in a big God? Like, even if that was to happen, if God was allowed to happen, all these things would be meaningless in the first place. Not saying don't plan for the worst, but we have to be able to rest easy in our businesses, Jessica, Jessica when those times are coming, when the the clients aren't signing on as fast as they were. There's no reason for anxious toil. Why? Because at the end of the day, you can rest easy and say, God is building this. I've placed my life in his hands. But at the same time, it's not a call to be lazy and not do anything. It's not a call for us just to sit back and say, well, God's got this because there are a lot of people who do do that. Well, you know, I'm not really going to try. I'm not really going to pursue because I believe God has this. Somebody looking for a job saying, hey, you know what? I'm not really going to go because God is going to bring whatever I need, right? He knows my need. Looking for a spouse and saying, hey, you know what? I've met a whole lot of good people, but I have no time to date because God is going to bring me the right individual. It's not a call to be lazy. We should work. But this is about misappropriated affections. This is about misappropriated priorities. I remember uh, a few years back, I had a Ford truck and I had these really nice wheels on it, big tires. And it was the winter time and I was driving fast down the road. I was like, man, I'm in a truck. This is all good. Four by four. It's all good. I'm riding down and I was getting close to the church. I happened to be going to the church for some reason and I started drifting and I slipped off the road and got into a ditch. And in my head, I'm like, well, I've got a four by four. I can get out this thing. And so I kicked it into the low gear and I started rocking it back and forth, gas, a little brake, and gas, a little brake, and then just going like this. And what I didn't know that I was just digging myself deeper. And to make it worse, it would have been better if I would have kicked it into a uh, uh, two-wheel drive because with the four-wheel drive, everything was spinning, so everything was getting lodged deeper and deeper and deeper. And I remember my buddy, pulling up. He was like, don't you have a four-wheel drive? I'm like, yeah, funny guy. And that's the same thing for our lives. A lot of times we we feel like if we work harder, if we do more, if we uh, stress more, if we worry more, if I put my mental energy on this a lot more, eventually something will happen. But what tends to happen is if we don't appropriate God's sovereignty in the thing that we're doing, What we're doing is literally spinning wheels and lodging ourselves deeper. And what it says here, the bread, eating the bread of anxious toil. In another uh, translation, the New King James Version, it says the bread of sorrows. The bread of sorrows. And uh, the commentator said this, living without God being the center of our lives is like rather than being strengthened by the fruits of our labor, It's just digging us deeper into a more miserable state. You ever had the time in your life where you're just striving and you just feel like you're just not getting anywhere? You're working hard, you're pursuing, and it just seems like things aren't just changing. Now, he switches the gear here, which is really interesting. As I was reading this, I'm like, he does, he talks about building and anxious toil and all of that, and then he automatically goes to children. Verse 3, look at this. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with the enemies in the gate. Literally, a heritage means something inherited, something not deserved, something that's given to you as a gift. And not to say, as as I was looking at this, children aren't the only gift. God gives many gifts to his people. And as he was talking to the king at the beginning and saying, hey, you know what? If you're building this kingdom without God, it's useless. If you're trying to watch over this kingdom without God, it's useless. And then he goes to the subjects and he's saying, hey, you know what? Stop worrying about what this guy is doing and start looking towards me and start following to me. In this moment, he goes back and talks about the relationship with the subjects and the king. See, in this agricultural time, more children meant more laborers for the work, and it include it, 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 it increased productivity. So now he's bringing this all around. I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm like, where are you going with this? Like, what are you trying to tell us? And as as we know in that time, having a large family was considered a huge blessing. And just like having a lot of subjects in the kingdom for the king was a huge blessing against anything that came that way. So I'm seeing this. I'm like, all right, where are we going? Verse four through five, it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. More children also meant more protection from the enemy attacks. More, when, when people had their, their, their farmland and they had their areas, people would try to take from them. And if you had more kids, everybody kind of lived in a commune. And so if they try to come after you, you had more people to fight with you, just like the king had more subjects to have greater military capabilities. And then he goes to the very end. He says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. We talked about the old cities had a gate around, uh, had a border around them, had walls around them. See, the gate was the place where battles took place. That was the most vulnerable area to the community. And so whenever there was an attack, a full frontal attack, everybody would have to go and fight at the gate because that's where the battle took place. Now, we've seen everything from the king and building without God. We're seeing everything to the subjects of not being worried about who God has put in place. And then finally, we see that with more people, with more laborers, came protection. I believe that God wants to tell us here something personally about our lives. I believe God is saying it's time for all of us to reset our priorities. This psalm right here is begging the question, where are your affections? In your life, and everything that you're doing, how important is God's priorities? Or how important is God in your priorities? So I, I, used to, I never used to play video games a whole lot. But when I did play video games, you know my favorite button was the reset button. Every time I'll start going and I'm seeing that I'm not making the progress that I want to make, It was easy for me just to hit reset. Why continue to fight? Why continue to die? Why continue to keep messing myself and digging myself into a deeper hole? So I'd always just hit reset. And let me tell you guys this, the only guarantee in our lives from all of our toil, from everything that keeps us up at night, the only guarantee we have is the fact that we're going to stand before God at one point in time and answer for how we've lived our lives. That is the only guarantee we have in hitting reset, being able to recognize that, you know what, maybe my life isn't totally focused on God. Maybe my job, my career, my schooling, my everything has not been totally focused on God. Hitting reset allows us to recalibrate and say, okay, God, I want to put you center of my life. I don't want to work so hard in this life and get to that point and realize everything that I did was for me and not for you. Jesus puts it this way in John fifteen four through 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, and unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. And all of us who live in southwest Michigan can understand what this is saying. We live in wine country, right? If you drive out to Baroda, to Bridgeman, you recognize that if you drive through those grape fields and a branch was taking off one of those grapevines, it will cease to produce the fruit that it was meant to produce, and that's what Jesus is saying. I've got something greater for you. I've got a greater seed. I've got a greater fruit for you to bear. Abide in me, and I in you. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is, or she it is that bears much fruit. See, hitting reset and recalibrating our lives is beginning to commit to no longer look at our jobs, our businesses, Flora. No longer looking at our school, Antonia, Amara, as hey, what is this doing for me? No longer looking at our homes, our relationships, as no longer what is this doing for me, but how does this advance God's mission? How do these areas of lives advance God's mission? And this is how we get a reset. Grab your teaching sheets. We're going to go through them very quickly. So in verse 1, we see what it says. Christians, this is what we can take from that. This is the one lesson. Christians recognize that Jesus is relevant to every role and responsibility of their lives. So I'm going to ask you that right now. How involved is God in your daily life? The plans that you make, the conversations that you have. Are you beginning each day laying all your work, all your conversations, all your plans, everything that you're involved in at God's feet and saying, this is yours anyway? Because why labor to build something that in the end indicts you for the negligence of God's mission? You build this monument to self. You're successful here on earth, but eventually you lose it all because you neglected what God called you to do. You were like a branch that wasn't attached to the vine. Point number two, anxiously putting my trust in anything rather than God leaves me vulnerable and exposed whatever we hold higher in terms of ability to bring change to our lives, change to our society or protection rather than God will continuously leave us vulnerable and exposed. If we spend all our time... Through anxious toil, working towards something, but neglecting the very thing that God has placed in our hands. And that's why he went immediately to the subjects. That's why he went immediately to the children. Because he's saying there's more things that are more important in life than these pursuit of self. Just like a parent who spends all their time working and neglecting their kids, God has given us more to think about, more to focus on, more fruit to bear, and those are the things that we need to set our minds on. And finally, point number three, the main priority for every Christian is a commitment to expand God's kingdom through raising up faithful followers of Jesus. This is from verses 3 through 5. This children that was used this is a metaphor for who God has entrusted in your care through the mission. The clients that you have, Jessica or Flora. The individuals that you meet, Shakira and Antonia. The clients that you have, Scott. The responsibilities that you've been given. These children these are all a metaphor of who God has entrusted in your care through this mission. If you are constantly on mission, I love what uh, Jennifer was said, like when she's at the hospital and she's dealing with people who are coming in, there's always an opportunity to give encouragement to somebody in an emergency situation. Because the main priority for every Christian is a commitment to expand God's kingdom through faithful followers of Jesus. In every sphere of our lives, from our work to our play to our homes, we're supposed to be on mission for God. And the only way we're going to ward off the influence of the enemy from discouragement, from destroying the thing that God is building up inside of us, the word tells us the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The only way we do that is by... Raising of faithful followers who will also champion the mission that God has called his people to. So, if you're in here and you're wondering, okay, I hear that. Maybe my life hasn't been totally focused on God. Maybe my job hasn't totally been focused on God. Maybe my raising of my children, my business, whatever it is, has not been, my marriage has not been totally focused on God. And if you need a reset, this is all I'm going to say. There's three questions that you're going to have to ask yourself. One, have you accepted God's mission for you? Have I accepted God's mission for me? I want you to think about it yourself. Maybe you're in here. Maybe you're not even a Christian and you're hearing all of this and saying, how can I be a mission for God? I don't know God. I'm, I want to tell you right now that Jesus Christ came was crucified for everything that you did wrong for, all of your neglect, like this individual here who can anxiously toil for things that are not of God and he's inviting you to be on mission with him because that is the only thing that will outlast in this world. It is the only thing that's going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And God wants to call you to be on mission with him as well too. Have I accepted God's mission for me? Second is, how is what I'm doing currently intentionally advancing God's mission? How is my business? How is my work? How is my schooling? I would love to use Denae as an example. Denae is a teacher here at the school. Denae not only just can play the piano ridiculously or and sing, but Danae has somebody who's, who's been somebody who's recognized that her job here at the school is nothing simply but a mission field. So on Tuesdays during the year after school, Danae gets to lead a small group of individuals in a public school, you guys, teaching them the word of God, praying together. Shakira is one individual who is a part of this group. She's recognized that I've got to be intentionally on mission with God. Every sphere that God has placed me in is an opportunity to be on mission. How is what I'm doing currently intentionally advancing God's mission? And finally, how can I reorient my life for the mission of God? It takes time to look at our lives to look at what we're doing and saying, how can I be on mission? How can I reorient the things that I'm doing? How can I intentionally position myself in a way that I'm going to be able to join God at work in the mission that he's doing? So the disciples of Jesus walked with Jesus for three years. They sat, talked, taught by him, went to church with him, was involved in all the mission work that Jesus did, but we find out very quickly through the lives of the disciples that their mission with Jesus was only so much as to what they would gain out of it. And we see that these individuals, even when Jesus went to the cross, when time actually came for for them to be tested and said, are you truly on mission with me? Even Peter said, hey, I'll die for you, but yet he denied Jesus three times. I think all of us need to look at our lives and saying, hey, look, why do I call myself a Christian? Why am I part of or claim to be a part of this covenant community? Is it for the mission of God or because of what I'm going to get out of it? Is it because of the blessings that I receive? Is it because of the protection I receive? Or is it because I have been called and positioned for the greatest influence to impact the world for God's glory? And Jesus, knowing this, knowing that these dysfunctional group of individuals who are half committed— We're going to abandon him in just a few hours. He still sat down at the table. He still shared this bread and he took the bread and he broke it and he says, hey, look, this is the bread. This is my body symbolically that is being broken for you. So that once you finally understand the mission, you will have nothing to hold you back. And then he took the wine and he says, hey, you know what? This blood is the blood that's being spilt for you. And he invited them, he's saying, hey, look, every time you take part in this, you're proclaiming, hey, you know what? This is not about me. This is about Jesus Christ and his mission and him inviting me and gracing me with the opportunity to join him at work. And so I've often referred to the Lord's Supper communion as a reset button. As an opportunity to understand and sit at God's feet and saying, God, you know what? I've been pursuing my own desires. I've been anxiously toiling for me, for muta. And I need to remember that this is not about me. This is about you. This is about me joining you at work and this opportunity that you've graced me. So as we go to the communion table today, I want you, I want to ask you, are you willing to hit reset if your life has not been committed to being on mission for God? And if that's the case, here goes your opportunity. Christ has already paid the price. For your negligence. Christ, Christ has already made a way for you to be able to just walk into this mission where you will experience more fruit, more protection, more joy, more results than you could have ever thought of or imagined outside of his world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to go to the cross and die for us not only to save us from our sins but to also invite us to be on mission with him. To see more people who are baking large pieces of pizza only eventually for them to go up in flames literally and figuratively. God, we want to join you in your work. We want to see people saved. We want to see people come to faith in you because only in you can we fully live the life that you've intended for us. So God, as we come to the communion table today, may this be a reset button for us. May we go through these questions in our head. Have I accepted the mission that God has invited me on? Am I intentionally being on mission for God in every area of my life and how can I reorient my life to be on mission for you and through that Lord continue to give us the unspeakable joy and unspeakable peace that you promised us where you said seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and everything else will be gathered unto us thank you Jesus Christ for giving us this opportunity to join you in your work it is in your name we pray